0: Today we talk about sailing around the world and how organizing your physical space can actually organize your finances. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Welcome back to the most hated F word podcast. I'm so happy to have you come back week after week. And if you share this podcast with your friends. Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be able to have these conversations and look at the intersection of our minds, our money, and what matters most on a weekly basis. So thank you to everyone who's listened, who shared the podcast, told a friend. It means a lot because I really, really enjoy having these insightful conversations. Now, on that note, (laughs) if you have a chance, if you have a few minutes, I'd love it if you can head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review. Thank you in advance. I really enjoyed today's conversation with Dr. Norris. She talked a lot about her personal story, which was interesting because she was actually a sailor. And we get into it, but she sailed all across the world and in some crazy waters as well. So that was super interesting. But Dr. Norris's work actually... Does so many interesting things, and one in particular that we focus on is how organizing your physical space can actually organize your financial life. And I thought it was extremely insightful because you know, organization, hey, maybe that's something I can benefit. And it really stuck to me, and this conversation really, really spoke to me. And there was one quote that I just wanted to say before the show that really resonated with me, and it was finding comfort in chaos. And I really liked that. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thank you. Welcome back to the Most Hated F Word podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Robin Renero Norris. She has been a marriage and family therapist for over 20 years, where she uses strength-based therapy approach with individuals, couples, families in which money is subject. Topics she assists clients with have included beginning budgeting behaviors, multi-generational finance decisions and new or sudden wealth considerations she is a boston college double eagle and is assistant professor with old dominion university in virginia she teaches her students to tackle life's choices early and often health wealth and organization are all keys in her mind to live life to the fullest when away from her time with windward optimal health she enjoys family, books, laughing with friends, gardening, and anything related to sailing.
1: Thank you so much for having me here, (laughs) Sean. I'm excited
0: to have you on this podcast as organizing our physical surroundings has never been a topic on the show. And I can really, really see the link between organizing our physical surroundings and our finances. And I'm excited for our listeners to hear but first, on this show, we often look at the intersection between our minds, our money, and what matters most. And we usually use stories from our guests to let our listeners to get to learn a bit more about them. Based on my reading on the internet and of some of your bios, I feel like a large part of your life has to do with racing sailboats around the world, which perhaps has something to do with the name of your company, WinWord. How did you get into sailboat racing? And... Looking back, how has this impacted your life?
1: Sure. So, as a kid I was on a small island in New Jersey along the coast and most of us before we could even really learn to to drive anything, I guess kids on farm spaces learn tractors, but <laughs> I wanted to get off the island by sailing my way off. So, um got my first dinghy when I was young. Neither one of my parents were sailors and I just kind of was self-taught. So, Joined the local yacht club as a teenager, and then went to college, deciding I wasn't going to play a sport. I was too busy. I really wanted to study and focus, and decided oh, I'll just do a little club sport. Well, it turned out Boston College's little club sailing was varsity sailing. <laughs> <laughs> so, spent a lot of cold days in the the river sailing some boats from MIT, and um, just really loved it. And it became like a second world to me in the sense of anytime stuff was getting. Stressful, I would just either go into the gym or get into a boat. So I moved after college to the West Coast because I was leaving cold Boston to go to sunny California. And ended up jumping on a bunch of boats in San Francisco as well. So kept on competing. And um, you can't tell on this podcast, but I'm five foot three. And when you're that little with a lot of knowledge about how to sail small boats, a lot of the bigger boat owners appreciate that because you can move around the boat and not put a lot of weight in different directions. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like their little mouse in different little nooks and crannies during <laughs> the middle of races with these big, big giant guys sitting next to me, you know. They they were, they were the grinders and um, I was just kind of the, the person that would trim little things here and there. So I, I absolutely love it. Um, it's really taught me a lot about working with people, working on teams. Part of my passion is working with men in in counseling. I think there's a lot of things that can be said and were spoken about in those spaces when you're the only female on a, a boat, you actually get to, to listen to the inner thoughts of, of guys while you're sitting alongside a rail. Um, and so I had a true appreciation for their athleticism as well as their, you know, struggles and and achievements.
0: Wow. So just out of curiosity, how fast do these boats go?
1: Very fast. Very fast.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Very fast. Um, I can't remember how many knots in the one race it was, but in the middle of the night, it was, it just, it goes, it hauls and it's in the ocean. It's one of those things that if you fall overboard, you're. You're done. They're not getting you back. So, um, very, very large sales, very fast sales.
0: (laughs) So, you're racing in the middle of the night? Sometimes,
1: yeah. Sometimes we did overnight races, oh, so wow. yeah, we would leave. We would leave kind of like on a Friday and come back Saturday afternoon. offshore four, so yeah, you're you're essentially clipped on at night, trying not to slide off the boat and um, trying to keep yourself as dry as you can.
0: <laughs> so this went from me being very interested, like how. sailing around the world, how interesting and fun that would seem to be. (laughs) This sounds fearful. Like if you slip off, you're done. Yeah, no, it has its moments.
1: Yeah, it's not exactly like you're going from port to port and having, you know, these really cool little drinks with cabanas in them. It's it's, it's quite... Quite, uh, it has its moments where it can be quite dangerous, but oh. it's a lot of fun. And like I said, it, it's a teamwork sport. Mm. So every person's got it, it, you know, it's his position or her position. And you all have to work together for a common goal. which is just to get that boat to get to the end. And I think, again, sailing for me, you know, it's always unpredictable, you, you don't know what the wind's going to do. You can have your charts, you can have your you know GPS, you can have everything, you can have the tide lines and the tide charts. But no matter what you do, you really have to be prepared for something could break, something could snap, something could just not work the way you want it to. So you have to be flexible mm. in, uh, in what you're doing.
0: So I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here, but do you have like a most memorable moment or time sailing where you had to be really flexible and adaptive to the the craziness of the ocean?
1: Yeah, that would be, um, I, I shout out to Chris Brown. It was one of his boats, uh, called Fidesa fast wave. And, um, it was in the middle of the night and it started raining. And I just remember, you know, sitting on the rail between at that point, my husband and another guy thinking, am I going to get through this? <laughs> it is so cold. Mm-hmm. and It is so wet. And within a couple of hours, the boat just started going flat and hummed. And it was amazing, but it, it, it gets into your heart and your soul of like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is really real. And you know, why did I choose to do this? I'm in the middle of the night and it's raining and pouring and you know, it's, it's cold. I mean, there's no light. That's the other cool thing is there's no light oh, wow. and stars. So, and you're offshore, you're offshore.
0: How do you know where you're going?
1: <laughs> GPS and navigation systems now are amazing. You know, back in the day, I guess they had sextons and everything else for, for navigation, most celestial pieces, but, uh, but yeah, so you just set your course and you go.
0: Wow. When you say Chris Brown, is it like the singer he's Chris Brown? A,
1: no, Chris Brown oh. <laughs> is a wonderful boat owner in the UK. Oh,
0: okay, okay. Yes, the,
1: yes, that's how
0: much I know about sailboat owners. And uh, but anyhow, oh wow, that's fascinating. I I never realized you would race boats in the evening or the night. And that sounds fearful, but uh, I'm glad you're you're here to tell us about it. Thank you. Oh, last question. I'm just very curious about this because it sounds so interesting. What's your favorite place, like part of the world to sail?
1: I liked sailing outside of Malta.
0: Malta, okay, yeah. wow.
1: Malta awesome. was a neat area.
0: And do you still sail?
1: Not like I'd like to. We actually live on a farm area in Virginia, and so my kids are um, younger, and they're starting to sail in the uh. summer times. But we're kind of getting through that space of you know, once they get a little bit older, we'll be back on the boats. So, mm, nice. so we're doing a lot more talking about sailing the <laughs> than actually sailing. <laughs>
0: As you're talking about sailing in the night, it just reminds me of like that total, probably concentration on this effort you're doing and, you know, the idea of flow. And we're all familiar with flow, thanks to the book. I mean, certainly flow of water going onto your boat. But I was reading a recent article on, um, I think it was around the five ways to well being. And it really stuck with me because it encompasses a lot of the ideas of flow. And they were the five ways were, I think it was connection, being active take notice, so like paying attention to your surroundings, learning, and uh, the last one was giving. But as you're telling this story about sailing, it really reminds or made me think of like, wow, how much I think something like sailing could increase your well-being. And I'm just out of curiosity, what impact on your overall well-being, our levels of happiness, or engagement in life do you think sailing has created?
1: Well, I think you brought up a good point with that space of mindfulness you know the first part of any kind of doing is being mm. and you have to be present when the elements are present so mm-hmm. whether that's the sun whether that's the wind whether that's the rain you really you you can't close your eyes to it you know mm-hmm. so that's the part of for me sailing is grounding mm-hmm. and it keeps me in the moment you know let's look at the bioluminescence next to the boat at night or let's look at you know, the cloud formations in the daytime, let's look at the sail trim. There's a lot more to trimming and getting some of these larger race boats, you know, an inch here, an inch there could mean, you know, hours worth of racing. So real mindfulness I think is what Mm. sailing has taught me.
0: Wow, very interesting. All right, well, now I wanna switch gears towards the organization, which I mean, it sounds to me you have to be very organized on these boats when uh, an inch can mean hours or falling off in the dark. So I speak from experience on a young families scene at our, at our house or other people that I talk to who have young families or, or just families in general. But I think for many households, we feel that there's dirty laundry, dirty dishes, toys on the floor, yard work to be done, endless to-do lists that we just feel like, oh, I'm going to do them. But they just, I guess, get unnoticed. And I feel like they're all very... Taxing on our brains and exhausting because we put so much on ourselves when we have so much to do. I'm a little late to the party, but a few months ago I watched the Marie Kondo Netflix show.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And and you know, I learned the benefits of tidying up. I learned how to fold my jeans really efficiently, and it actually works quite well. And I, I really felt the benefits of you know, making my, sure my closet looked organized. But today, I'm excited to go a little deeper or in a different direction from just tidying up our jeans and closet as we're going to specifically talk about how when we organize our physical surroundings, it can lead to or, our organized finances. And as I was prepping for this, I know I'm biased because this is my show and I feel like you'd be biased because this is going to be your content. But I was thinking perhaps this should be a prerequisite before we watch the Marie Kondo uh, Netflix documentary, just because I feel like if we have our closets organized and our utensil drawers all organized, but we neglect the financial organizations, we're still going to feel that level of stressfulness and perhaps out of control because as we know, money is so is just required a required tool in this day and age. So I'm curious, how did you get interested in studying the link between our physical organization and how that can lead to our financial organization and the benefit of it.
1: Sure. I kind of think also, too, that there needs to be watching of Gail Voss-Oxley's um, Debt Do You Part.
0: Oh, okay. As
1: you're watching Marie Condu, because some of the interest that I had was a lot of people had so much stuff that needed to be organized before they could get organized. Mm. And so there is a little bit of that aspect of essentialism and minimalism that needs to be discussed in order to decide what do we even want to have? Because we make about, you know, researchers have seen that we make about 35,000 decisions per day, (laughs) it comes to about 2,000 decisions an hour. And so I think my interest in this was that I was working as an in-home counselor with families that finances were stressful, but also the things around them were stressful. And some of that was having the money to buy the items, having the time to secure the items, making sure that people put the items away, having to go to work to get the money for the items. And so it was just this double helix of a dance of, are we, what, what, what's the purpose? What do we want? What is the intent And so that's why, you know, I think that's my interest of how money and organization tie together.
0: Okay. And so for someone listening, where would you tell them to start? Or what would be some basic recommendations that you have when looking at or organizing our physical surroundings? And then what are the basics that you feel to the, the essentialism that we need to have organized in our financial lives?
1: Sure. So I would start with writing down the number 168. I would do it as an individual or I would do it as a couple. And with that 168, I would try to figure out what am I spending my time doing, anyways? So, how much percentage is work? How much percentage is organizing? How much percentage is shuttling kids different places? You know, how much percentage is vacation, grocery shopping, and try to see, you know, do we even have that number balanced? Because if that number is not balanced, then the financial decision making number is not going to balance either. And what I mean by that is, is if we're deciding to buy groceries and we buy $200 worth of groceries and we have to put them somewhere, where are they going to go? How do we do this? This now talks about meal prep. There's just so many nuances throughout our day that can run efficiently if we know why we're doing them. But if we're doing them just because we've always done them and we're not even sure we really like doing it, then we're kind of that hamster on the hamster wheel. Mm. So defining the 168, even though that's just a theory kind of thing and seeing what you're already doing can also then help to figure out what you want to do now, because then you get to define physical spaces that can involve the household, any kind of vehicles, Pre-pandemic, there might have been offices we were going to, spaces within the home, you know, kids' spaces, but then also the, the securing of the virtual spaces. So, you know, how do we organize it on the laptops? How do we organize our passwords? The one thing homes don't do that I think all homes really should do is have an operating manual. <laughs> I don't have one for my family, though. I've attempted to write a few little index cards here and there. But I really think that we go to businesses and we have operating manuals. We get a new appliance. It has an operating manual.
0: I was just thinking about the appliance part.
1: You know, do do you and your wife load the dishwasher the same way? Maybe, maybe not. How do you teach the kids? I don't know. Like, has anybody even read the manual for the dishwasher? And what does that mean? That means what did the cost of the dishwasher you know, what is the cost of the water? What is the cost of our time? What is the cost of the arguments we have when things aren't cleaned up? Mm -hmm. Again, all of that comes back into, okay, ready, set, do a budget. But unless you know what you want to do for the budget, all of that gets lost in the physical space.
0: Yeah, a lot of stuff there that I want to touch on something quickly. For those who don't, might not know exactly what you mean by 168, can you just define what, or explain what what the significance of that number is?
1: Sure. So 168 is the number of hours we get per week. And sure, there's going to be a leap year thing and a fast forward and a fast back time thing. But Mm -hmm. for the 168, though, that's that's our finite time. That's our number. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what we have in the bank account. (laughs) That's what we've all defined as time. (laughs) So what we do with it and where we go with it, we're always encumbered by that number.
0: And, you know, the more and more I dive into the intersection between money, fulfillment, happiness and investments in in themselves, I still get back to this idea that time is one of our biggest assets and we so give it away so many times. Yeah. And we wouldn't give away our money so easily as we give away our time. So I really like this idea of 168. So how do you recommend people do this? They just sit down, write down every single minute, every single hour of their week.
1: Yes. So basically, yeah? yeah, every single one. When I would work with couples in an office, I had what was a whitey board and it was awesome. It was just this, you know, think of old school um, lamination paper that you could put across an entire wall. Mm. And I would have them sit there and say, okay, what, approximately What you know, how long are you working? What kind of tasks are you doing at work? How much is grocery shopping taking you? How much are you going to the theater? How much are you going out for coffee? Because when you can actually step back from a big piece of paper or a big giant screen on the wall, you can then say, Wow, no wonder I don't have time to play guitar. Or wow, no wonder we're never going on vacation. Look at all Mm the things we spent money on over here. Like, it wasn't even about money. But they could see, wow, we went to the grocery store four times last week. Huh. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe if we changed it up so we actually went on Saturdays and, and cooked on Sundays, this would give us a whole bunch of time to actually go play. So... I do. Like I said, I know it sounds ridiculous and it sounds really hard. It doesn't take you as long as you think it might. It's not like you're cataloging it every single day when you're doing it. I usually just have people doing it kind of like a half hour, one sitting, you know? Mm. I mean, if you really, like I said, if you have the time to want to, you know, mark it in a calendar every two minutes, sure. But I don't think that's necessary. I really do think you can do it in a half hour and you sit and you think, okay, Monday, what did I do? And just kind of write it down in brackets. You'll see mm-hmm. there's a flow. You'll kind of, I mean, everybody's got smartwatches and Fitbits and calculators and phones and that are keeping track of biorhythm. I mean, they mm-hmm. can tell you how long you slept. You know, oh, you slept 7.2 hours last night. So that part's done for you, right? So <laughs> <laughs> use those metrics that we have and can create to design the life you want to lead instead of leading the life that it tells you you're leading.
0: Oh, wow. Design the life you want to lead instead of living the life.
1: Yeah, Instead of living the life that you're, you're living because the matrix are saying that's what you're living.
0: And I think that is the biggest reason why taking half an hour to document your 168 hours is a benefit. And mm-hmm. something I would add is what's the cost of not doing that, of living in kind of that drift state when we're just be our time is just being consumed and consumed and consumed and i want to point out something you said earlier and i could really f- see how doing this exercise helps us see what we are doing those were your words versus what you want to do
1: mm-hmm. yeah because one of the things you had mentioned was you know organizing things and the never ending house to do's mm-hmm. well you might not even have enough time to do them mm-hmm. So if you've got six house projects and you really only have four weekends a month and, oh, I don't know, 25 minutes at night, do you actually even have enough time to do them? Because that then can dictate how much money you need to earn to do them, to spend on them, to budget in there. And if you even want to choose to do them or if you want to spend time elsewhere. Mm. We, it's not a bad thing to have a list, but if we always feel like we're underneath and behind the list, that can get kind of blah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I've never ever thought about that. Maybe we just don't have enough time or resources to do the list. And then we're perpetually looking at this <laughs> stressful list that makes us feel bad about ourselves. Yep. Okay. So a lot of the things you're saying right now makes me think of the systems thinking. Can you explain? Generally speaking, for those who aren't familiar with systems thinking, and then how you've been applying that to our financial lives.
1: Sure. So systems thinking is that everything is connected. So we know that about trees. We know that about people. We know that about computer systems, right? And we think of neurons and we think of connections. It's the same thing with the flow we have. You know, the decision I make affect the decisions of my family, I make the decision of what I do with my day and my friends and neighbors and my dog. So we're never completely alone in our concept of how we're earning, why we're earning, and how we're organizing our spaces. So the systems for me really tie together in that way. Everything kind of communicates whether it's talking or not, it's communicating. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess that goes to our point of this unorganized to-do list that isn't part of the system. So it's very hard to be organized when there's no actual system in place.
1: Right. Or if two people in a couplehood have two different ways of organizing or two different plans, that's when you can kind of get that bit of a clash. Then what do you do? (laughs) Then you talk it through. Then you figure out which plan or which way are we going with it? Yeah. That's a part of the system of organizing that you need to be able to communicate through.
0: And so I guess the theory of the system thinking is like, once the system's in place, it prevents potential arguments or inefficiencies or feeling too taxed on our time. Would that be correct?
1: It can be because you've got the systems you're creating... And then you're part of the system you're living. So think Mm -hmm. about it from the company standpoint. If you're working with a large group, you usually have an HR department, and there's usually a set of rules that we've all agreed to abide by. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you're working within a system with systems. Mm -hmm. That might be a way of just kind of conceptualizing it, is that there's two, two ways the word system is being used. There's the actual physical, tangible stuff, like the operating manual, that defines how we're going to agree to do stuff. But then we as the people are, you know, involving ourselves in that definition.
0: Mm. I I once heard that an outcome is perfectly designed by the system it is in. And, And it makes me think of our financial organization and our financial lives. If we feel disorganized or stressful, then perhaps that's, a time to look at the system we're operating in and maybe it's unconscious like an unconscious system but it's there right so what would you say from your experience would be the basics for i mean as we know personal finance is personal so it's different amongst everyone but what are some universal basics that you would suggest people start to look at within their financial family system
1: okay sure so you want to make sure that you're not exhausting yourself with decision making mm and that you're thinking about the concept of finances during your best time of day.
0: So not before bed.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I see an awful lot of couples <laughs> exhausted from work, exhausted with the children, and now we're going to lay in bed and say, oh, okay, so this is what we got going on this weekend. Oh, by the way, this bill's due. Yeah, that's not the time.
0: <laughs> or why did you spend so much on the credit card?
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. And so defining the best time of day now, if you're both night owls and that's when you both decide you're going to sit down and have a cup of coffee together, that's great. But I do also say, put if you're working with a family or roommates or a spouse, make an appointment with them to talk about this, define it. Don't let it just be this leapfrog thing that you just throw in because finances is way too big to just kind of have on the side. It's really a meal unto to itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you really do, you know, say, Hey, okay, between two o'clock and three o'clock on Thursday, kids aren't going to be here for a second. Let's sit and really look at what we're doing. Mm. Backing that up a little bit more, you also have to know yourself and how you learn and how the other person learns so that when you are talking, you're teaching each other. If one person is a listener and one person is a writer or a reader, talking may not be the only way to get through. Mm. Because I think that's also a disconnect when couples go to organize or families go to organize. You know, we all do things very differently and we all have different memory retention. And so you know, uh, quite often I'll see the the female in the couplehood, you know, have 50,000 things from the past and the poor guy's like, what? I thought we were still talking about dinner. Like, you know, it's, and it's like, wait, 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 you're, you're both fair to be in the same spaces that you're in, mm-hmm. but knowing how to teach somebody about yourself is also going to teach them about how you organize.
0: Mm. So knowing how to teach someone about yourself.
1: So if I'm a, if I'm somebody who listens Versus somebody who reads, talking with me will work. If I'm somebody that absorbs through reading, hey, maybe jot me down an email that you maybe even print out old school and hand to me. Mm-hmm. And it'll sink in a little bit differently.
0: Yeah, that's, that's I really, really like that point here. I kind of makeshift put number two in my notes here. but Because you said we all come from different perspectives and we know we have different backgrounds and money scripts and experiences around money. So I I like this idea of knowing how you learn. So having that own awareness and self, I guess, self-awareness around yourself to teach the other person on how you learn. And I think that's a nice way as opposed to being like what many conversations are like, accept, like sometimes we accept our way as the way. Mm -hmm. And then we like, oh, you should do it this way. And then we start to get judgments and defensiveness. Mm -hmm. So do you find knowing how you learn and teaching someone on how you learn can help avoid defensiveness and placing judgments around couples and their money?
1: Absolutely. Because then it allows you to talk about the organizing. You know, one of the biggest reasons that I need people to talk about organizing with finances is so that they don't lose their finances, Mm -hmm. so that they can secure what they have. Mm-hmm. I've worked with a few spouses where unfortunately the spouse has passed away and somebody didn't know where the passwords were. Mm. I've worked with other couplehoods where somebody's lost the paper that they needed. You know, I had mentioned to you earlier, I was astounded to think that the idea that 20% of Bitcoin is lost, mm-hmm. that's huge.
0: 20%, I never knew that.
1: That's huge. That was in the New York Times. I said, holy cow. So, you know, if 40% of what we do every day is on autopilot, We need to figure out how we learn and then how to teach others about how we learn. Then we need to figure out what space we wanted to find, you know, in our homes, in our cars, in our offices, and then how we want to do this with our virtual stuff. So that if something ever happens to us, our families have a clue. Mm -hmm. We've left them breadcrumbs, our roommates, our parents, (laughs) you know, can find what, Stuff we have, mm-hmm. we can find what stuff we have. <laughs> yeah, because if we don't have that, then there's really a limited amount of points to saying, "Hey, do a budget." Hey, do finances. Hey, save. Save what? Where? How? Mm-hmm. In a piggy bank? Do I bury it? Do I put it in an account? Well, where do I do my passwords? Who gets to know my passwords? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of steps to organization. Mm-hmm. I went to go pay my tax bill the other day and thought about this and I actually had to do nine behavioral steps, I'm sure a whole bunch more, but nine that I could identify just to pay a bill.
0: Nine steps.
1: That was a lot more than I thought, but it's everything from recognizing it's due to writing it out, to putting the envelope or putting it online, to hitting send, to making sure the money is in the account, to putting it in the mailbox or driving it to the post office and getting sent. Like, There's so many of those 300,000 decisions that we're asking of ourselves and our roommates and our spouses and families that involve money that can get lost in translation quite quickly if we're not comfortable in acknowledging our organizational spaces.
0: Wow. I mean, this is a different conversation, but nine steps to pay taxes. Talk about uh, another system that needs some reorganization. <laughs> so I want to just go quickly back to that that conversations around like, with your cop, whomever, your partner or spouse, about the systems and uh, how we learn. I think that's so important because I find from my experience, that component of trying to create the system together or just in agreements together is often where there's a hurdle and there's emotion and tension and then it gets avoided. And something that I once heard that really helps me is that when talking to anybody, and in this case, partner, spouse, or whomever we share money with, it's just understanding that what people are saying might not be your truth, but for them it's certainly their truth and just accepting that. Absolutely and I I feel like your your idea of knowing yourself and teaching the other person around that kinda of went around that point. And I, I just want to bring it up because I feel like that's really important, especially around our money is like if someone's feeling a certain way around money, if we discount that or don't accept it, we're we're gonna have a hard time moving past that conversation.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Cause like you said earlier with the money stories we all come at our lives with different money stories and we all come at our lives with different organizational stories. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, some person was a little cleaner. Some person wasn't, some person had the mom that nagged, mm-hmm. some person didn't. Yeah. And again, the timing, how do we feel when our partner or when our family members does something that's different than, what we want them to. What about if they spend money differently? Mm-hmm. And see, again, there is where money ties into what habits do I want to have? What habits do I want others to have? What habits do they have? What do they want me to change?
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So we talked about not to have these conversations when we have an exhausted mind, knowing how we learn and teaching our other person, leaving cues about where our passwords are, where our money is, where we're saving, et cetera. On that idea, when we look at family financial systems, what do you find is, if any, a balance between one person manages it all and another person doesn't? It, could there be a potential power, the non, non-balanced feeling of power? In some cases, that okay? What, what's your experience with the distribution of financial power in terms of who actually does the technical work of it?
1: So if both people in the couplehood are okay with one person doing the technical work, because they like to be the person that geeks out on the Excel spreadsheets and doesn't mind being the one to pay the bills virtually, that's great. I don't think it's a good idea to not have knowledge of it though. Mm -hmm. And so that the responsibility then happens to be on the person that likes to do all the numbers and budget crunching to find a way that is kind, caring, compassionate towards the other person where you can share this. Mm -hmm. Do they want to see it in a graph? Do they want to see it in a tangible good? Do they want to hear about it? Do they want to read about it? Because ultimately, especially in a couplehood, each person is responsible for the other human being. And the one thing to go back to sailing is at any moment something could break and a disaster can happen. You know, insurance companies know this fair well. That's why they exist. We insure in case something happens. Mm -hmm. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. But if in a couplehood, one person is managing everything 100%, the other person has no clue, that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So that's the part of the preparedness and the estate planning and wills and monthly conversations that has to happen if you're going to work as a team to keep sailing it forward. So you can have your defined roles, but you still do know, you have to know a bit more about the roles each person is is doing.
0: And I, I know nothing about sailing, but I, I can imagine that you're five foot three and you have a certain role and responsibility, whatever suits your size. Mm-hmm. And those men that you explained on the boat, they have the certain responsibility based on their physical. I don't, I don't know if physical fitness has anything to do with it. But you had alluded to that earlier.
1: Yeah, because in certain positions as a grinder to get the bigger sails up, oh yeah, you have to, okay. you have to be.
0: <laughs> so I guess it's a good analogy or a good comparison. Then you guys aren't going to all be the grinders pulling up the sails. You need someone probably guiding the boat, sailing the right. boat, changing the sails, whatever you guys do. Yeah. And, and it's okay as long as everybody, to your point earlier, what you learned from sailing is work as a team. Would you mm-hmm. Would you agree that? Absolutely. I guess in our system, we could be different actor and actresses Mm -hmm. as long as we have a collective balanced perspective of what the overall system is trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah, you have to have an overall plan and you have to have some idea of how you'd like to execute the plan. And then you have to figure out how you guys want to focus your attention and your strengths. So that's the other thing. You work to your strengths. Mm -hmm. My strength is not being the big guy in the boat. My strength is being the little person on the boat, (laughs) you know? In this
0: example, say there's one person who's more hands-on with the technical side. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that person in this specific family system about just what to watch for to make sure things don't get non-balanced or the other person doesn't feel a sense of control or contribution? And then also on the other side, what would you say to the person who isn't the, doing the technical work? What would you say them what to be careful of to have, I guess, no clues, no understanding where, where things are or how things are done?
1: It's, it really comes down to that check-in. And each person can kind of have their own checklist with a check-in. What do I want to know? You know, are we on target for retirement? Are we on target for kids college? Are we on target to, you know, up the grocery bill and go to dinner twice this week? You know, it depends on where you want to go because not everybody's going to want to go to the same destination Mm. and you've got to figure out what the plan is for that so that you guys can figure out how do we now do the practical technical bits so we keep ourselves motivated because each person's going to have a different level of motivation. So
0: Okay. Yeah. So communication I hear.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Communicating, communicating your needs and listening to the needs of the other person, not just waiting for them to be done talking, but actually listening to the needs of the other person.
0: I sometimes think, can you imagine if we all listened?
1: Mm. Be a quieter world. I have to admit.
0: quieter world, less conflict probably. Yeah. But uh, we've been talking about organizing and for many organizing could be like, oh, there's so much work to do. Then we add money and it's even more of a thing like, oh boy, I don't want to go there. Based on your studies and research, what have you learned or what do you know about being too organized or aspiring for that perfectionist level? And And I see it now, the more social media comes out, people are showing, oh, all you have to do is budget like this, 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 here's my family spreadsheet. And like on that social media post, We tell ourselves that story, that's their entire life when we know there's more to that story. Right. But we live in a busy life and maybe we can't get to certain aspirational levels of organization. And at times, can we put too much pressure on ourselves to be too organized and put these unachievable expectations on ourselves?
1: I think we absolutely can. And that's not the healthy balance that you want. You have to define how you want your organization to be. It can look very different than someone else's. It can be uniquely yours. And as long as you feel comfortable within it, it's okay. Now, if it's distracting to the point where your family doesn't want to be around you because you're constantly sweeping up after them and asking them two seconds later, well, what did you spend that on? And How did you spend that? And are you sure you want to spend that then it's too much. It's too much of a good thing.
0: Mm. And
1: so it's okay to be you. It's okay to be your family. It's okay to be, you know, how you want to be in your business. But if you find that you're losing money or not securing it somehow, then something needs to change. You know, if you can't find your password and that goes to the bank account that you share with someone, uh, there's your time lost again. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't find the documentations you needed for the house that you're going to close on, uh, there's your time lost and there's your money lost. So there has to be a base level of organization that allows that efficiency of your 168 to keep moving along. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be so perfectly and tidied up. And actually, Marie Kondo, I think, touched on this, that her art of tidying up changed when she had kids. Mm. So, you know, if you watch some of her videos post-children, they are slightly different because she now lived with two people that needed to understand what their pattern is. You know, Mm. how do they work? What is their best time of day?
0: You know, it makes me think back to your sailing example is you have to be adaptive to the water, And I think it's having that same mindset of not being too rigid in terms of this is how it has to be. Right. When we were just talking before we started recording, you mentioned something that I thought was very useful about doing then feeling versus thinking then feeling. Can you touch on what you meant by that and how it applies to the art of organizing our finance?
1: Sure. A lot of therapy, we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy and it's thinking, feeling and doing. And my approach has always been to get at the doing spot. Um, A lot of that comes from, you know, even thinking about books like Atomic Habits, where he says, find the smallest slice that you can do and that can change how you feel. And I've found this to be so true working with clients that people get so lost in, well, I think this or I feel this. And I'm like, what can we find is the smallest possible thing you can do to change your pattern because if we can get you to change your pattern all of a sudden you realize gee I can accomplish something for a minute and a half I can accomplish something for five minutes maybe I can do this you have to break things down into much smaller chunks there's a phrase in in the hoarding field we talk about clutter blindness where we don't see the mess anymore we you know one Mm -hmm. of my organizational planners and I talk about flutter blindness in the sense that we just go flit and flut from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing and we just get immobilized and so it really does become important to break things down into smaller more manageable chunks
0: i like that perspective because obviously the research is quite around cbt that it works well but i do think that like you're saying we could get stuck in that thinking and feeling too much where you know adding some doing can certainly move us into the right direction i'm uh, i'm studying positive psychology right now and a lot of it is around what can we start doing in order to move us towards the, the state that we're desiring and not not ignoring how we're actually feeling, but just trying to do something a bit. Cause I think I see it a lot in the financial world is that we get so paralyzed by like, I should have a budget like this. I should have everything optimized. And even on this Mm -hmm. podcast is like, oh, my passwords, having my estate organized and the budget organized, it can Mm -hmm. be overwhelming, Mm -hmm. but I like this idea of just doing. So as Mm -hmm. we come to an end here, For people listening who find this interesting that, wow, okay, organizing my finance, I always want to do that. What are some just basic, simple steps that they could start doing that you'd recommend?
1: Sure. So I would start with printing out a budget sheet. And I like—I still like old school paper and pencil with this. Mm -hmm. And then walking away from any room that just does not let your heart sing and go to a space where you could just look at it and look at the different quadrants because from those different quadrants it'll you don't even put any numbers into it but from those different quadrants you might even decide where do I want to (laughs) start because that's a part of it is do I want to start by going back and filling in the numbers do I want to start by talking to my spouse about this do I want to start by oh gee there's a category called retirement oh oh well does that mean I need to start by thinking about my work like And just sitting with it. So literally just printing out, you know, all of the different categories of a budget and sitting with it for a minute can actually help you to find where you want to go. Because all of those are going to have different actions with them. Hundreds of different actions with them.
0: Mm -hmm. The part that really spoke to me is just sitting with it. In a world of busyness, I feel like we don't have enough time just sitting with things.
1: Right. Because we feel like that's not doing. Mm. If we sit with something we're thinking, we're not doing, but we're actually doing. It's hard. It's hard to sit and it's hard to stay silent. Yeah, yeah. Hardest things. Wow. I
0: have a lot of notes here. I appreciate this conversation and I I feel like we could go into a lot more of the the technical side. But uh, for today, I really thank you for joining me on the podcast. And I have one last question. You mentioned you had some kids. Imagine yourself in whatever location, wherever it is, it could be on the island in New Jersey or Malta or wherever, and you're sitting on the front porch of, actually, you're sitting on your boat, on a sailboat, looking back at your life, and you decide to write a letter to your children about what you've learned about having a positive, healthy relationship with money. What would you include in that letter?
1: Probably that I would want them to always ask questions. And be okay to not have the answers, but always just keep asking them. Mm. Because each question is almost like a bud towards a possibility. Oh, wow. So yeah, keep asking the questions because we don't talk about money enough. And Mm -hmm. we don't talk about the harder bits of it, Mm -hmm. especially to kids.
0: No, we definitely don't. And I feel like part of the reason is what we talked about today is we don't feel organized ourselves to have those conversations.
1: Right. 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 And for so many years, it's been taboo to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. Finally, I think we're there where we can.
0: I agree. And thanks to your people like yourselves doing this work, we're moving to that place that we can talk about money.
1: Thank you. And thanks to you with your podcast sharing with others.
0: Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your 168 today. I borrowed an extra few minutes. Do you have any websites or your personal site that you'd like to point people towards if they're interested in hearing more about you?
1: sure if they want to find me i'm at wind-opt.com and i have windward optimal health
0: okay well thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate you taking time today
1: sure thanks sean
0: thank you well that was a blast i hope you had a blast i hope dr norris had a blast i hope everyone had a blast because having these conversations are so much fun and thank you for tuning in because it would be a little strange talking into a mic with nobody there. Well, actually, that's what this kind of is, isn't it? Let me know if you're out there. Head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Thanks, and see you next week.